Hello, my name is Gannon. My name is Gannon. There you go, two Gannons. And uh, we're Broken City, and this is podcast number 14, correct? That is correct, okay. yeah. We wanted to start off with like a subject and dig really deeply into it, because it's been on our minds lately, and it's something that's very near and dear to our hearts. I love it. Which is the subject of improvisation, um, and how that re- correlates with, relates to... Uh, composition. Composition. Also known as songwriting or composing or blah, 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 blah. So those two things are like very similar. Very similar. Um, they're in some ways the same thing, depending on how you write music. And it's all about like where ideas come from and then what you do with them. You know, like you can, you can sit around and and improvise and then find something you like mm-hmm. and that becomes the beginning of your composition mm-hmm. and then you build on that and you're really slowing down the improvisation process to the point where you're now composing and you're being very choosy with what you do where improvisation is more like you're in the moment and stuff is coming out and you're reacting to it and once it's gone it's gone right unless of course you decide to punch in or right. unless you are recording but right. speaking from kind of the purest side of both forms. One is I'm composing something to be performed or recorded or even just written down. And the other side is you're in a live situation, this would be the extreme, mm-hmm. and you're reacting to the musicians around you and, and the audience. And the audience and to your own emotions and sure. So it's interesting because we both have fairly unique relationships to both composing and improvisation. But you um since you have a background in jazz, mm-hmm. I'm curious to see like what you would say about improvisation from your point of view. Because from the time you were a teenager, you were really deeply entrenched yeah. in playing jazz and playing jazz with people, you know, some amazing jazz players that were you know double your age mm-hmm. and were really not going to let yeah. bad playing slide. <laughs> so you get yeah. school nightly. Yeah. So that was, you know, what, early 90s? Yeah, early 90s. I mean, I started, the first part of my journey with music started with rock. So my first way into improvisation was rock and blues. Mm -hmm. You know, like Jimi Hendrix and all those guys, like Eddie Van Halen, the more sophisticated kind of rock stuff. And then I heard Jeff Beck, and that's what really sparked the interest of getting into jazz. He was kind of like the the conduit into jazz music. It was like, I heard that, and I was like, what is that? There's no vocals. That's cool. Like mm-hmm. he's playing a more free form melodic style. It's not like as rigid. It's not so blues based, and it, and it's very melodic. But it's also it, you could tell that there was some jazz qualities to it. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing that happened was I saw George Benson on the Johnny Carson show, Whoa. and he was just ripping it up. And I was like, I want to know what that is. Cause Hashtag old. <laughs> but that, when I saw that, I was like, I want to know what that is because that's cool. I, like I was searching for something. Because I've been listening to all this rock music and some fusion stuff, but I was searching for that kind of like entry to jazz, and nothing uh-huh. was really turning me on. But when I saw that, I was like, I really like that, and I want to know how he did that. And then that kind of led to more crazy fusion stuff, like Alan Holzer and John McLaughlin, Pat Metheny. Pat Metheny was probably my biggest influence on the mm-hmm. guitar in jazz. Yeah. And so I had to go step by step, you know, like with, with blues and rock music, it was based on the pentatonic scale, so the language and the words and all that stuff was just all based around that scale. So pentatonic to sort of, for those of you who aren't familiar with it or have heard the term, but it's a little blurry, 
or you know the band the Pentatonics, and you think that's just a band <laughs> name. <laughs> Whichever view you are, penta means five, tonic is obviously the root note. Yeah. So you have a five note scale. Yeah. Most scales are you know do rhythm fa so Yeah. So if you're in C eight. and you want to play a minor pentatonic, you play C. There's your root. E flat, which is a flat third. F the fourth. G the fifth. B flat, and that's uh, the flat seven. That's what makes up the minor. Two, three, four, five, and then tonic again. That's your root. Pentatonic. I mean, it's such a the scale is so like. It's all over that. I mean, pretty much all pop music and all R and B and all rock is based on that scale. I mean, there are people that take it outside of that, of course, but that's like the that's the roots. That's mm -hmm. like that's where it all comes from. And so once I learned that, then when I got into jazz, then I had to like get way more into scales. You know, I had to learn like the modes. You know, I had to learn melodic minor scale, chromaticism. It got way more advanced quickly. So the purpose of that, just to, to bring it back to improvisation, like he's talking about the pentatonic scale and taking it further. In a way, <clears throat> as we were talking about today at lunch, that's kind of what sparked this whole conversation. Like a conversation at lunch, and we we're like, Ooh, let's, let's throw that on the podcast. Which is like how much improvisation is rooted in like it's very much like a conversation. Mm -hmm. It's either a conversation you're sort of having schizophrenically with yourself, mm -hmm. like you're 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 reaching into your tool bag and playing something and then responding to yourself or the musicians around you. And mm -hmm. so one of the kind of rule number one with improvisation, especially in an interactive environment, like more of a jazz environment, but any environment really yeah, is like you never want to parrot somebody. Like you know, like, just be a, a stupid bird. Yeah. Just like in life, you don't have a conversation where you're going like, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? I'm the dummy. No, you're the dummy. You're the dummy. So, like, that, that's, like, the equivalent of me going, like, so that can be cool. You know why, why that usually happens is when a young musician thinks that they're listening. Right. And they go, I'm listening. Da -da 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 -da. I heard that. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah, and it's it can be fun and it can it can be musical. There are no yeah. rules, but you can do it. Obviously, if you do that all night, or if that's your go-to <laughs> thing, like I super annoying. It's it can get super annoying, and it's also it is hi how are you hi how are you. So it, it's really more like shake it get get it. Oh, sorry, do it again. <laughs> oh, the right shake it get get it. I might expand on. Yeah. Like I might take, here's the thing, that's a good point. You might take a little bit of that mm -hmm. and start off with that, but expand on it. It's like, it is a rolling conversation. You're building upon it as you do it. Right. That, I mean, a good example is you would never say, hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? But you might say, I love you. I love you too because of this. Like, yeah, that's actually a great example of that. There's, yeah. It's a conversation. So to take that back to what we were talking about earlier, when you're learning your scales, you're basically learning how to put words together and form sentences and you're, it's the grammar of music so yeah. like where does the noun go where does the adjective go where does the period go and mm -hmm. is there an exclamation point where does the paragraph end you're building these tools that you can reach into so that you can talk and going back to like composition let's take the pop medium you know it's like pop music if you know the thing that i find cool is that if you know these extra scales and you know like how certain t notes and intervals sound over a chord it can really help your pop writing or your rock writing or your 
acoustic singer-songwriter stuff because you're thinking outside of the norm. It's like you're hitting things that are, whoa, what's that? That was cool. It's the unexpected. Mm-hmm. It's like the more you know, the more you can grab from, the more unexpected it can be and cool. Right. You know, I find that being able to play jazz frees me up to think broader when it comes to melodies, you know. But then it also can be very hurtful too because it can make you too complicated. Mm-hmm. It's like you're, always, you're, you're battling that fine line between communication and self-serving. Yeah, it's like the the it's it's good taste, you know. Like, yeah. are you having a conversation at Thanksgiving and mom and grandma are around? Okay, right. then maybe there's less uh, less swearing involved, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe you're watching what you say a little bit or whatever yeah. it is. Um, or are you having a conversation with your buddies? You know, like so, context is everything. Like, is it a jazz context? Is it a pop context? Right. That changes the words that you have available to you. And, sure. And, um, you know, like if you're, if you're laying down like a fat funk groove and the improvisation tools you start to use are all, you know, fusion or jazz or something like that can be appropriate under certain circumstances, but under others, it can be just the most annoying thing ever. Right. It's like, um, it can be distracting. Yeah. Why is the guitar player going like, you know, while I'm trying to sing or, you know, whatever. Right, so exactly. understanding context is everything with improvisation. Yeah. The yeah. backdrop has a lot to do with how you react to it. Yeah. You know, like Miles Davis was doing what you were saying, like I'm listening to his autobiography and checking out a bunch of his stuff. And in the seventies, he was doing a lot of like funk stuff where he'd have the band playing really funky, but kind of keeping it at just one thing. Yeah. And he'd be the guy that went out on top, mm-hmm. but he had discussed that. Like he said, you guys are going to do this and then I'm going to do this. Right. And that's what, that's, that's how it's going to get done. Totally. And so he kind of created the landscape in which to improvise on. And that's kind of like, you can go about it so many different ways, but that's kind of a cool way to begin a concept. Mm-hmm. You kind of design what you want it to be, and then you work above it. Totally. The blues are very similar. Like, yeah. He kind of created a, a, his own sort of, a, what would you call it, like a structure to work within. And the blues are a structure, yeah. you know, like a one, four, five. So, I mean, <clears throat> and then within that, there are lots of to- improvisational tools that that one can use. You know, sure. you have you have everything musical at your disposal. So like we can kind of demonstrate some of that stuff between the two of us. Yeah, actually that would be cool to do two different versions. Like I'll do one version that's very like blues, you know. Okay. I'm not gonna go out. And I'll do one that's more jazzy. And you can see the differences between the two styles. Okay. So what key are you gonna be in C? Oh C minor. Okay. Yeah. Here we go.
pretty obvious, drastic, different styles. You know? mm -hmm. And there was no right or right. I can't say that. Right, 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 right. Road, road way to do that. It was just it was like the way in which you chose to go. Yeah. So I mean, what obviously what what you brought into the jazz thing was like chromaticism, mm -hmm. time and fluctuations, like yeah. changing the way you approach a note. You know, the other thing too that doesn't get talked a lot about is dynamics too. Like the way you approach a note. You can you can really change the way the note sounds by just adding some dynamics. Yeah, that's in both hands. hands. That's in both hands. Yeah, there's a lot of lots going on in here. It's funny you don't. I don't really think about the left hand. There's so much going on in the left hand yeah. that you just don't even think about. But you're doing all the time muting and vibrato and bending and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but the same goes for drumming. I mean, there's the world of of touch. Mm -hmm. You know, you're talking about touch on a guitar, so like. You know, how your left hand plays into it, how much skin is on the fretboard and on and on the on there, how hard you're pushing, what you're doing with that, what whether you're playing with your pick or your fingers, mm -hmm. your, how you're holding the pick, all of the angle of the pick on the string, yeah. all those different things. And the same goes with drumming, like are you playing, you know, on the drum mm -hmm. or off kind of off the drum, or are you playing really into the drum? Are you, you know, choking the stick on purpose so that you get a more stiff and solid sound or are you letting the stick breathe and become a part of how the drum rings because right. you know if you if you all drummers know if you click a stick and look and hear the pitch of it there's a there's a pitch there that if 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 your grip is loose and you're hitting the drum and getting a very open sound mm -hmm. that that brings off one kind of attitude and one sort of uh feeling from it but if you hold hold the stick and and grip it tight right upon impact you're choking the stick and getting the drum to speak in a certain way, and there's all kinds of nuances in there, um, which I actually want to do like a special little drum lesson just on that um, later for YouTube. But all those things play into how that's sort of I would consider those things in the toolbox of improvisation. Those things are like subtext. Right. It's like the difference between uh, let's use the I love you thing again, mm -hmm. like. I'm gonna tell you I love you again. But if I just went like, I love you, that's different than I love you. That gets a little weird, you know, now you think, <laughs> one sounds like love you bro, one sounds like, no, I'm in love with you. <laughs> that's when you run out of the room. <laughs> very different context, yeah. very different subtext. So that's what we can do with those nuances of, of, of touch on our instruments. You could play the same exact rhythm, have the same, you know, same exact melody on mm -hmm. the same drums, etc. How you hold the stick, how you approach the drum, both dynamically and, and in terms of touch. Yeah. Completely it's amazing. You think completely about different subtext. The nuances are insane. Like, yeah. The little things you can do to kind of what that does too is it it also creates your style mm -hmm. because those little nuances are what separates you from every other guitar player, every other drummer. And that's when you're the choices you make. For those subtexts, are you thinking like, "Ooh, this person plays like this, I'm going to do that," or are you making personal decisions mm -hmm. about like what you want to say? Like that's that's what separates the copycat from the artist, you know? Like, mm -hmm. you know, why? It's all like, why are you making those decisions? Right. And that's that's really everything, and that's what you said. Like that's where your that's how your voice comes out, and how you define what you do is mm -hmm. like the authenticity in, in those choices. Totally. Um, Let's maybe break it down even further and go yeah. to like. Um, oh, one more thing to expand on what you're saying. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the 
the, the language and the tools and all that stuff. One thing that I think a lot of people, mainly on piano, guitar, and any kind of you know instrument that you can play notes, is they don't think about what notes they're playing, they just do the mechanics of it. So a lot, I see a lot of guys going into this. Not thinking anything about what that actually is, other than it's a mechanical exercise, I play it with my hands, and I kind of know what it does. Right. You have to really know what those notes sound like. You know, know when you're playing things, you should be able to hear them a little bit before you play them. You're not going to be able to hear everything you play because, I mean, some guys can. Some guys are really that attached to their notes. I can hear a majority of it, or sometimes I like to surprise myself. So I might play something weird and go, oh, wow, I didn't think I was going to sound like that. It might be awful, it might be cool, but really know the notes when you're playing them. Like, if you're playing a scale, you should know what those notes sound like when you're playing a scale. So when you start mixing and matching them and doing different intervals and stuff, then it's not a surprise to you what it's going to sound like. Yeah, it's in the context connected. of the chord. Right? Yeah, especially in the context. Yeah. If you're playing C minor, I should know what all of those things sound like in C minor. I should know what the 9 sounds like. The 13, 11. It's like those are color tones, but I know what they're going to do to the chord when I play them. Yeah, and if I give you this instead of. If I give you like. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you can change things on me too, and I should be able to use my ears and just figure it out. Drastically. So you heard the major third, obviously. Yeah. So you grabbed on that, change scales. So, I mean, you can go. It took me a minute to find that one because that's like so you reach for it. A little more Spanish sounding. Yeah. I like that one. So that implies actually the. Yeah, and then one thing I used to do in, in improv, improv too is that I would sit, if you don't mind playing that chord again, I would play everything on one string so I wasn't attached to the scale. You want the weird chord? Yeah, let's do that one. Sorry. I'll go between like a like any minor and that. Yeah, and I'll just use the E string. This is really good for training your ears to, to be able to move with something once you hear it. You're reacting to everything. So let's try it. change all the chords, make it really crazy. Okay. And see if my ears can keep I'm gonna make mistakes when I do this, but I'm gonna see if I can follow it. Cool. Start on the same. Yeah, you start there and then you can go bonkers.
couple sticks in there. But I was really trying to just hear, react to the chord and being fearless, because I know they're gonna screw up. Because I don't mm -hmm. know exactly what you're gonna play. If you don't know what's happening, you're, who knows? Yeah. Your ears should be able to tell you when to react. And I was trying to keep a fluid, sort of melodic thing going, because I didn't know where anything was gonna go. <laughs> so about did I. Yeah, and you're just improvising too. So two guys are like pushing yeah. and pulling. And, and I'm trying, trying to take, I'm cool. sort of letting my next choice be a surprise to me and then using the logic of what I know about different keys and stuff to just sort of yeah. give you something that's completely not what you expect, I guess. Yeah, but it's not unsensical. There's a little bit of logic to right. changing these keys and then giving you the sudden major. Yeah. Those are great exercises, though. You can allow yourself to spend 15 minutes a day doing things like that. Your ear training and all that stuff will improve so fast. Yeah, because, you know, allowing yourself to make mistakes when you're practicing is like the key to breaking new ground. If you're not pushing yourself in that way, then you're just going to stay in the box you're in. Yeah. And then when it comes time for the gig, it's it's time to play, you know, it's time to be inside the moment, which is to, to be inside what you know and to let things come out of you. So, and that's when listening is the most important. If you go on the gig and it still feels like you're practicing, uh, that's when the evil trick of, of playing the licks. Yep. Or, or getting stuck in the idea of playing licks right. can really trick you because that's like going in, going on to into a conversation and going like, so dude, A B C D E F G H I J K like you don't just say yeah. the A B C's in a conversation and that's really the comp like when you start really just playing licks on whatever instrument yeah you're kind of just you're just playing the A B C's you're just playing the A B C's <laughs> and the licks are cool I mean. They're, they're, they should be springboards for other things. Yeah. You know, jumping yeah. off points, they're... Everybody plays licks. Everybody yeah, plays. everybody plays licks. And they're... And they could be your own licks? Or they could be somebody Just else. like everybody says, hey, what's up, man? Or, hey, how you doing? Yeah. It's like that's... It's part of the vocabulary yeah. of, of, of conversating. Right. But it's like, when you play the licks just to play licks and trying to impress the crowd or trying to impress your buddies. That's what's bad. Yeah, it's the it's the reason it's the why behind it again. Going back to that core of like, why are you playing that lick? Because it's the right thing to play, or it's just be, yeah for some other weird reason. That My girlfriend's in the audience. Don't impress her. I mean, people do that. Yeah, totally. Girls are in the audience, or whatever. <clears throat> whoever, if you're a female, there's a guy in the audience. Whatever it is, you tend to play to your surroundings. So if you want to impress somebody, you tend to be flashy, not think about what's going on around. That usually happens when you're young. When you're a young musician, you tend to like let your surroundings dictate what yeah. you play. Or a moment of weakness. What we're all we've all been guilty of it, but of it's course. like I've been yelled at for it. <laughs> <laughs> I used to play with a lot of older musicians, and you know when they thought I was screwing around, they'd tell you at the end of the gig, "Man, you're screwing around. You're not playing music." Yeah. And it hurt, and I'd be like, "Ugh, I don't talk to you anymore." Totally. But I'd go home and think about it. And go, well, next we're gonna show him, and you know what? Uh, my game. Mm -hmm. It's like next week I didn't play that way. I played different. Yeah. And I played more musical. And they were right. If you let people if you allow people that are older to you to give you wisdom, it's beneficial. It's not I mean unless they're just total dummies, you know. Mm -hmm. But most people that have experience and have done things, you should take that you know, take that to heart. Because they're teaching you something. Mentorship. It's a lost art form these days. We talk about that too. Yeah. I mean I had a mentor, you had mentors. It's like we you need somebody to kind of they're at a different plateau than you are. And once and let that wisdom seep in and learn from it. Don't don't fight it. It's not to say you can't have your own ideas. You can. 
you know. No, everybody's different. Like, I mean, the classic thing too with with just you know what we're doing with Broken City Artists is starting to have a mentorship program, and everybody's different. So like, it's it's very common that the you know it's like the teacher is learning if they're teaching right, they're learning too mm -hmm. because. Um, not only are you going back through fundamentals and remembering what you may have forgotten, mm -hmm. but you know a different human being is going to bring different things to the table and teach you. And um, there's a concept called spiral dynamics that um, is really about what it's what it is to kind of grow up and expand your uh, your your knowledge and and learn things through experience and all that stuff. And that's kind of what. Mm -hmm the art and the his, historical kind of bolstering of um, mentorship is really rooted in the fact that older people know something that younger people don't know, or people with more experience. It doesn't even have to do with age necessarily. Sure. Um, somebody who's 20 could, could mentor somebody who's 30 if they yeah. have more experience. So it's not about age as much as experience, but often comes with age. But what Spiral Dynamics is kind of about is like, it's, it's almost like having, you know, somebody, in a lookout point, you know, like if you have like your little castle or something, mm -hmm. it's like you have that person that's up at a higher elevation because they can see what's coming. So if the enemy's coming up or, you know, yeah. they're up at a higher elevation. And it's cool to think about mentorship in that sense of like. Yeah, they're trying to help you prevent yourself from making bad decisions or yeah, and they're, falling they're, pitfalls and all that kind of stuff. They're at a perspective that's, that's, oh, I can see a little bit more of this area, you know, and, and give, you know, somebody who's, who's, who's down at in an earlier stage, who's seen a little bit less, you know, just seeing kind of like, you know, a hundred yards in front of you and the guy on a higher um, level of this spiral dynamics thing is like, can see for miles, you know, right. that's, that's kind of what, what it is. It's mm -hmm. just sort of like, it's perspective, it's experience and, and especially with improvisation and composition, you know, yeah. that's really valuable stuff. Cause you kind of, sure. you, you figure out what works, what doesn't. Yeah, it's like don't get rid of the confidence, but let go of the ego a bit. Yeah. You know, be be humble enough to accept information. May not always be what you want to do, or and then you can decipher that. Mm -hmm. You know, but there's always something to be learned from somebody. You know, we're we're living in an awesome time where you can get on YouTube and you can find information like that. I learn things all the time, mm -hmm. and I love that. I mean, I'm always in the quest for new ideas and new pieces of information. And, and I think that keeps you growing as an artist, as a musician. It's like you always want to be moving forward. Yeah, and the, the cool thing to keep in mind is that we have access to near infinite information. Mm -hmm. um, but what's harder to have access to is to is to have a good, a, a good attitude about what the information is and why it exists. You mm -hmm. know, and that's something I know that we're both really passionate about, and um, and Mike is too. Is like really getting underneath, you know, the why behind the information, you know, it's like, why is that person playing that way? What, what are the musical and, and personal reasons for playing that groove over that song choices. or whatever it is, you have these choices, as opposed to just taking the surface level and taking the notes and copying them or whatever, mm -hmm. it's just really getting inside of it. And that's what's hard about, that's the downside I would say to YouTube is that it's all take. Um, yeah, you're right. There's a little bit less give and take and sort of personalized stuff going on. Mm -hmm. and I mean, that's that's where the magic happens, is mm -hmm. really making something personal. It's true. Um, so let's talk about 
this is always interesting to me because you're I've always loved about your playing your ability to sort of take take things in and out mm -hmm. harmonically. harmonically and rhythmically and the ability to be free which is really I see it as like a direct uh, expression of your personality like sure, yeah. your sense of humor and just what what you're like is very sometimes off the wall um, and you can see our Instagram <laughs> for some they get karate lessons too yeah, no. And, <laughs> uh, so let's give a couple examples in that okay. same sort of thing of um, what it's like to to be sort of inside the, the rails, I guess mm -hmm. you'd say. So all you know, things that could be written down. Here's the notes, here's the rhythms. Um, and so everything kind of in there. Yeah, like you can transcribe it and make total sense. Yeah, what you see is what you get. Okay. Um, you, want, you want some some of that Latin again? Yeah, that's fine. So you have the gray areas between rhythms and the gray areas between notes. There's so bending, bending the time and bending the pitch. So here's same thing but different. There's the release. 
Like, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, it's chaos, and then all of a sudden, it's a release. That's why I love uh, chromaticism, because it puts you in this world of, like, the world's upside down for a minute, and yeah. then, you just, then you bring it back to life. <coughs> and you get to speak the language of, um, you're almost like throwing out the language of the key center. Yeah, totally. And you're just saying, like, I'm going to speak in another language. Mm hmm which is sort of like being nonsensical in a way. You know, triads are really, play that again, triads are really cool too for, if you want to learn how to play outside the key a little bit, like in jazz they always talk about playing outside, which means you're you're just basically, like you said, bending the key center. You're, you're playing outside of the key center. If we're in C minor, if I play a, if I play a B over C minor, it's gonna be weird, it's gonna sound ugly. But you use that as a tension release, you know. Triads. So triads are cool if you want to play out. They're such strong sounding things. Like a triad, triad is a three note chord. So you have a C, E, what was that? G, C. It's a, it's a C major triad, right? C minor triad. So play that again. If I play just random triads, mm -hmm. it's such a powerful sound that it sounds cool as long as you land back in the key. Yeah. So I'm just going to play triads. doing is just playing triads but there's such a strong tonality to those yeah that when I take it back in you're like oh that was crazy I was out of control but then I came right back into totally. it, ground zero so those kind of little methods like the chromaticism and the triads and and here another thing too is you can play a pentatonic up a half step to take it out and then bring it back in this is a real common trick but way out. It's all how you come back in. You can play any note you want as long as you come back in and it's strong. Given the context. Yeah, yeah of course. You don't want to play that in like a, <laughs> a bar mitzvah or something like that. But, you know. but in the right context, it can be super cool and unique and interesting. You know, yeah. It can even take anybody's playing in a rock context somewhere else. You know, When I was playing with uh, Taylor Hawkins, we would, he loved that. He loved that I would take things out. I wouldn't just play rock and roll licks, which I know how to play and I like a lot. But I like to try to take it more adventurous. Yeah, so, I mean, Vinny Cauyuta is a great example on the drum side of somebody who knows how to stretch the time. Yeah, really. Um, if you want to hear some of that, there's an Alan Holdsworth record called Secrets with Vinny Cauyuta all over it. And there's, in particular, there's a fill that he does where he, he basically is so solid on the time that he takes, he takes uh, 16th notes speeds them up, slows them down, and then ends up at triplets. Right. So he's like... It's really cool. So... Is that called metric modulation? No, metric modulation is more taking, like, a slice of a rhythm, and then, like, for example, if you're here, and you take the dotted eighth... Oh, that's metric modulation. Okay, yeah. We actually were doing it the other night at the Arbor right, right, right. quite a bit between the two of us. Um, and that's interesting. I mean, you were like, what is it? But you do it. You know what right. it is. I know what it sounds like, but yeah. I've always been fuzzy about what exactly metric modulation is. Yeah, it's just a name for something. So what Vinny here. did was more just taking... What he was just that? sort of... The fill was... The tempo was here. So I think it was... He went from... Um, it was actually 30 second notes to... Um, the triplets. Yeah. Yeah. 
and just sort of like stretching it out, pulling it. But what was cool about him, and we were talking about lunch, is that a lot of drummers try to do this stuff, and they, they end up sounding like they don't know what they're doing because they don't have the, the center of time. It's like their, their time feel is not strong enough to pull off something so out, out there and unique that when they come back in, it just sounds like a cluster of you-know-what. It's like a disaster. Mm-hmm. Like Vinny's time is so like, he knows where the pulse is. He's so confident where one is that when he does something crazy, it comes back in and it feels right. Yeah, a lot of it's trust. I mean, you can, you can trust when Vinny's going to do it. Yeah. Um, it was <laughs> a really funny example of that. Yeah. Um, I was playing with guys that had a history of playing with Benny, mm-hmm. and it was you were on the gig. Oh yeah, the, the Mark <coughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, so it was Mark Stevens, uh, Melvin Davis, you, Walt Fowler, great players, Steve great. Tavaloni, Fowler, Fowler, and then Steve Tavaloni, who's awesome, all really strong musicians. At the Big Potato, which is sort of this um, very well-known jazz club in Studio City, legendary, yeah. Yeah, and I was a young buck. What was I, twenty-two or something, maybe? Yeah, probably. twenty-one. Um, and there was a song in seven that had this, it was in seven, eight, and had this weird pattern, there's a drum solo in it. Mm-hmm. And I had, in preparation for this gig, I like programmed that riff into a drum machine, and, or into a sequencer, and was practicing it to it, and going like, all right, I got a, I got a solo with this gig. I think Simon Phillips had done the gig. Yeah, I did it um, two, like months before it was Simon Phillips. A couple months before it was yeah. Simon Phillips, and then, and then I got on the gig. And the gig was going great, and this song comes around, here comes the vamp. And <laughs> I jumped into a metric modulation. <laughs> it was actually around a dotted dotted eighth thing, and I used that as the new time, but it was in seven, so it was like, um, I don't know what the tempo was, it was like, seven mm-hmm. and I use that as a tempo so I was like and went and like I since I'm not Vinny <laughs> clearly like everybody was like holy crap <laughs> he just lost his mind so then they started everybody was like I don't know what just happened yeah and and since Vinny wasn't back there like Given the old, like, everything's going to be fine, guys, just stick to it. Yeah. Everything started falling apart. They got scared. And then I got scared because I'm like, okay, now i got to follow somebody because yeah. they think I went nuts. Now everybody's lost it. <laughs> <coughs> so here's an example of context. It was like, yeah. first time on the gig, maybe don't do that. Right. Maybe right. Like, I need to sort of maybe prove, ease them into that. Ease them into that, prove that, I, that maybe that was, they didn't see that coming from me. Yeah, right. And then when it did come, you know, whatever happened was just not right. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Do you even remember that? I don't, but that sounds amazing. You probably blocked it out. I wish I could remember that. That's not really funny. That's insanity. I can see it happening, but I don't. I can almost see that moment in my eye, like in my mind's eye, it going down, but I can't totally hear it. And what was crazy about it too is I remember. Just play fast single strokes. <laughs> That'll get me out of this quick. Yeah. I was like, all right, make a lot of noise. Well, you bring up a good point, though. It's funny because with playing, because I play with a lot of different drummers, and the one thing you do, you have to get used to each other. Yeah. There's a sort of a feeling out period, no matter what the gig is. Like, I did a gig with Simon Phillips and Jeff Berlin, and it was an amazing gig. And it's like two guys you didn't think it would be good together. 
like Simon and Jekyll and Jekyll's an amazing accomplished chopsy bass player and he, he plays a cool groove but he's mainly known for his solo that's on YouTube if you want to check it out open up a new window oh, yeah. Jeff Berlin Simon Phillips Cannon Arnold super great gig it was in Chicago we didn't rehearse I got to the gig Simon and I Jeff was late I got together with Simon first we went through all the songs together just him and I and we were like this is going to work this is awesome like we were having a great time Simon was a huge I was a huge fan of his because he played on the, my favorite Jeff Beck records like I couldn't wait to play with him and I played with him prior to that but this is the first time under my own name that I'd hired the guy you know and then Jeff he was, Lincoln, he was your guy he was, he was, he was my guy. band that I put together like my your trio music? yeah okay. no not all my music a couple of my songs but mainly songs that everybody would kind of know I didn't want to go too crazy okay but some were very difficult there was a song called Actual Proof by Herbie Hancock that's really hard if you don't know what you're doing, you can get totally turned around quick. But we yeah. nailed it. But then Jeff Berlin came in, and it, and it was like, we took a minute. Like, him and I were playing, yeah. and it's like, we have a thing. And then Jeff came in, and he has a different feel, and everybody has a different feel. And the, when the show came up, it was magic. Like, wow. I don't know what had happened. So but all it's that like, tension. And all the tension, and like, you know, those moments of like, eh, what's going on? We never played together before. This could be nuts, or it could be a disaster, you know? It actually turned out to be great. And that was a that's one of my cool favorite moments in time when I can remember like you didn't know what to expect what when it happened it felt like magic and everybody felt it and probably I mean obviously there's a bunch of experienced musicians on stage but sure in a situation like that I can imagine that everybody's first of all doesn't want to be the one screwing up so everybody's <laughs> very alert everybody's listening yeah everybody's and that's listening. the key to all of it is like that was a good example of listening yeah because you had to. I remember we were doing that song Stratus, which is a it's a there's a vamp that Simon solos on, and it's like do 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 oh dan 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 and he starts soloing and I was playing that groove and I started crapping my pants I'm like oh my god I'm playing this but he's playing crazy around it what do I do what do I and I just kept playing it over and over you can see me like just tapping for dear life. He was watching And we did it. We got through it. But I could definitely hear, I was starting to like drift a little bit because I was trying to pay attention too much to what he was doing. Well, here's the thing about Simon too, is that he's one of the few drummers that actually does play outside the time. Like he does these He does a lot of metric modulation stuff. He does, but he also, he does things where he's, Slowing up, you know, slowing up, speeding up, and slowing go. down. Yeah. Like he's kind of doing some. Sometimes he's doing it in a grid, and other times you can tell that he's just like he's painting a picture. Yeah. And then he he's just feeling where the groove is mm -hmm. and the beat lands. Yes. I can't imagine playing a riff over him yes. doing that. <laughs> yeah, because you know he's trusting us yeah. at that time. Because it's funny when the drummer gives up the responsibility of playing the groove, you're playing the groove. Yeah. And that's when musicians can fall apart. Because like, we met, I did a DVD as well, and he played on, we did the same song on the DVD, and the same thing happened. <laughs> that's not going to happen again. It's not going to happen again. I'm not going to listen to him. I'm just going to play my own thing. Yeah. And I did the same exact thing. We actually... Maybe he did the same exact thing. <laughs> yeah, I guess we both did the same thing. Like, I started listening to it. The mistake was, and this is going to sound totally against what we've been talking about for the last hour, but I, my goal was not to listen to him. My goal was to keep the time. Because you kind of assumed I'm a, that he was listening to you. Exactly. I'm a robot. He's feeding off of me. He's hoping that my riff is steady. So the minute I start hearing him, if he goes somewhere, like you said, if he moves the time and I go with him, that's when the whole house of cards just goes. Right. The trust goes away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then it's funny. So we had that experience with him. And then I played with Terry Bozio on a different day. 
and it was completely different. Like he was a totally different drummer. We had never played together, and it was like he was super artistic, quieter than Simon. So it was it was not quite as loud, mm -hmm. but it took it took a minute for everybody to kind of. I remember we were all nervous, and I, I mean I can't speak for Terry. I think he said he was a little like. Cause I don't think he was nervous about us. I think he was nervous about how's this going to work. Yeah, first time on camera yeah. with people. You know, like, it's a very high pressure situation. It's like, it's like you're putting this is it. You got to film this, and you're also on a video with other famous drummers. Yeah. So you have to deliver the goods in a certain way where it's like, oh wow, it's like that's Terry and that's Simon and that's like. Yeah. So I think the pressure of that was definitely in the room. Where can, if people are interested in checking that out? You can get it, I think, on Amazon, for sure. And, and you used to be able to get a guitar center, but I don't think they sell it there. It's called Gannon Arnold World Class, or Five World Class Drummers. But it has Taylor Hawkins, Jimmy Chamberlain, Gary Novak, Simon Phillips, and Terry Bozio. And it's on the drum channel as well. It's on the drum channel, yeah. Drum channel. That was a great experience, and that was a lesson in, that was a lesson in learning how to play with different people quickly. I played with Taylor. What's that? Sorry to interrupt, but the concept of the of the project was these five different drummers give you their perspective on the same song. Right. We all played the same song. It's called Not From Here. So everybody had to play that song in their way, which yeah. is cool because they all played it different. Like Taylor played it really rock and very, like, very, I want to say stiff, but just the way he just plays. Just balls to the wall, yeah. Yeah, balls to the wall, bam. Jimmy was like, he was awesome because he played it in a jazzier, he was the original guy on the record. But he, he did a jazzier kind of feel to it, and it was like, that felt great. Yeah. Simon did an awesome version. I mean, they all, it was cool because they all had their twist on it. And that was a cool concept because it was cool for other drummers to see what's it like when five different guys play on the same song, how yeah. they approach it. And I think they all listened to Jimmy Chamberlain's version. Oh, really? So there was a context. Oh, you had a recording. I had a recording, so I gave him the recording. So they are all aware of what it had sound like, which I kind of wish... In retrospect, I wish that there was no backdrop to it, like there was no drumming. Mm. I kind of wish that they all would have heard, not heard Jimmy. Yeah. But then again, maybe them hearing Jimmy made them react in a sort of like, well, I got to do my own thing. Yeah. I think it might have been good. For actually. sure. Might more, might have been beneficial. Well, either way, the results you got were, would have been different either would way. Yeah, I think so sure. because. Well, then they would have had their own artistic stamp. Who knows what kind of groove they would have played? Yeah. If once you have a context of what the groove is, then it's hard to kind of break. I mean, unless you're just a really ballsy, like, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want guy. No, I mean, people do that. They'll say, I'm just, well, I mean, Terry Bozio played it kind of like Jimmy Chamber, but he did a lot of stuff, you know, with his, his really dry crashes and yeah. symbols and stuff. And then Simon was, he had a really big sound. His, you know, his, he's just got a big sound in general. Mm -hmm. like the way he plays is very open and big. That's how I see it. Yeah. You know, but it was cool. But that's a, you know, when you're playing with that many different musicians, you definitely have to listen. Because if you don't listen, it's a, it's a train wreck. And you're being filmed, so it's a horrible train wreck. Right. People are right. spending money on this train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> so if it goes wrong, you're screwed. So, first of all, where, where did the phrase balls to the wall come from? I don't like to picture that. Well, <laughs> anyways, there's a band called Accept that had a song called, You get your balls to the wall, man! There you go. I don't know if they invented it, but it definitely existed. I highly doubt it. They did not invent that. I don't think anybody invented balls. But there were also a bunch of German guys with their shirts off on the album cover, and that scared me in itself. German rock. What I want to talk about in improvisation mm -hmm. is 
motif building. Because this is where composition meets improvisation, I think, in a very finite way. So that's like easy to, easy to grasp. Right. And also very important to um, to both worlds. And yeah, very especially songwriting. To songwriting and like, I mean, one of the most, to give you like a definition of mo what a motif is, probably one of the most famous ones in history is da 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 that's a little motif. Yeah. So it's like a little musical phrase that you can capture onto and build upon. So like, you know, there's rhythmic motifs, there's harmonic and melodic motifs, uh, there's all different kinds. Mm -hmm. And so one of the cool things about it is it really is like, like a conversation that sort of circles back on itself mm -hmm. and continues to expand and, and keep going and, and expand outward, upward, whatever you want. Sure. So give us an example over that same thing of, um, you know, like rhythmic motif building. Yeah, rhythmic melodic, I'll try to do both at the same time. The one thing too is that I took lessons from this guy, Scott Henderson, who's a great guitarist, brilliant guitarist, and he taught me phrasing. Like I didn't know what it was, I was just playing guitar. Mm -hmm. I liked new stuff and I knew how to play decent, but he told me like, what you're doing with phrase, like he broke it down to like an understandable thing to me. Like phrasing is, you're basically like you said having a conversation with yourself. I mean that was a great example. It's like you're you're playing off of yourself, but you're taking an idea and taking it to its fullest extent before you let off and come up with a new idea. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to just like like I said, you don't play one thought and then go to another random thought. You've got to take in consideration. It's musical to like take things. I mean you can do whatever you want. You can be weird and go crazy and go do that, but but. Just from the basic fundamentals, it's like, it's good, to, well, I'll just do it. I'll just take an idea and take it as far as I can go with it. Yep, and when you talk about taking an idea and going far, you can take something that's kind of an intellectual idea and then expand on it intellectually and expand on it emotionally. So mm -hmm. we'll, we'll do that in both directions. Okay. I'll do it um, like kind of as a drummer, mm -hmm. and then we'll start with you doing it as a guitar player. So let me think about what, well, let's play. Yeah, let's man. come up with a motif. No, that's good. I like that version. Do something where I do something a little longer melodically, like um... so. 
right? And you can yeah. definitely see how the shape is going, and you can kind of you follow along with it. Now, here's something that's more rhythmic, maybe. That was still mochi. It's jagged, but I think I'm, I'm being very like I'm trying to make the point real clear. So I'm taking an idea and really going far with it. Like I'm taking that melodic idea. Now, what are you what were you talking about on top of that? Is it something you want to play for? Yeah. Right? So if you play those chords and I do like a drum solo over it, here's a version of that. Just my mouth since there's no drums. So similarly to you. Um, I could decide just, I'm going to take that rhythm of uh, one, 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 two. I okay. just take that to different places of motion. Exploring three notes and just going like, 
what can I do? And then you start to understand what those notes are saying emotionally over which chord and, and start to build vocabulary just around a few words. Yeah. Um, it's like going into a pool on the steps. <laughs> just put your toes in, try to feel it out. Okay. Okay, it's cool. Yeah. And then you like expand from there, yeah. Yeah, and so what happens is like that's how improvisation can become composition. It's really through motif building, because that's when you start to say like, Wow, I've just created a melody. Do I want to come back to that melody later? You know, like if I played those chords, let's sit, let's go back to the blues thing. Okay. And just challenge you to kind of write a song on the spot. Okay. You know, pick a melody you like, pick a different one you like, and come back to the original one. You know, like. So like your, am I just to be clear, so I don't mess up this whole thing. <laughs> am I doing like a like you want me to come with a chorus and then like go around there or not, or not look it into the song structure? Sure, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so like this is like, I'm putting them on the spot here, but just songwriting on the fly. Okay. And you don't have to find it right away. Just okay. whatever you find, find something. how you you learn and that's how you progress it's like don't try to jump into the deep end right off the bat 
you know, just take little ideas and then move from there. Express yourself. Exactly. Try to expand Be away your from, from licks and into self-expression and, and having that conversation, whether it's schizophrenically with yourself mm -hmm. or you're interacting with and having a conversation with somebody because you don't want, hey, what's up? Who is it? You don't want that. No parrots. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's I love you. Well, let's go out with a little music. And I'll drop my picks. I'm going to use my fingers. It's finger style. Right? So you just okay. give, me, you give me my landscape. Oh, man. Let me bring it out. Let me give you a new, a new key center. Can't wait. Time is a magazine right there. <laughs> On my end, of course. Oh, 